Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. And as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the podcast. Except I won't really be talking a whole lot of Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on this show. I'm going to go ahead and let this series with the San Diego Padres wrap up before, well, doing a wrap up of it, right? right? Summarizing it all and going through each game as we've all become accustomed to, right? And going through some of the, the big picture items and, and taking a look at what comes next. And all of that. But I figured this actually might be a good time because I haven't done it all year really to take a quick look around the league as we're getting, you know, right into this halfway point of the season. Uh I don't do a lot of this for a very specific reason. It has always been one of my guiding principles and philosophy since I ever since I first got into doing Rockies coverage. 10 years ago, um, you know, one of the reasons I got into Rockies coverage is because I thought that there was uh, an unfortunate lacking of either talking about the team or or talking about the team in, in earnest, where it was clear, I, I felt like even a lot of the local, especially at the time, the local media wanted to fixate on other teams. And I feel like Rockies fans have just had enough of that over the years, of having to talk about or hear about the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Cubs. And it's like, you deserve analysis of your team as well, such as they are, wherever they are, however they're doing, you deserve that in-depth analysis as well. And and I was always very frustrated to find that even in Rocky specific content, I was sort of always being pressured to care about these other teams and and, and and more than that, that it always seemed like it was coming from a place of, oh, well, here's what's going on in the real baseball cities with the real baseball towns who are actually doing things, right? And so while I'm going to talk a little bit about that, I actually, just going through this, was noticing like how many other teams around the league are just absolutely, if not as frustrating as your Colorado Rockies, even more so, right? And and that's kind of wild to me. So maybe this is a bit of a schadenfreudic exercise. It's like, well, if the Rockies are going to have a frustratingly mediocre season, uh, let's look around and see who else has been frustratingly mediocre. But we're going to take stock of all of it. Let's begin over in the junior circuit over in the American League that I pay quite a bit less attention to. So I'm not going to be able to run through a whole bunch of in-depth analysis of each team. Not that we've really got time for that anyway, but again, let's just take stock of where everybody is. Let's let's begin out in the AL East, which is pretty objectively the best division in baseball uh, comfortably right now. Uh, after going on this remarkable uh, nine, did they get it to 10 plus game uh, winning streak? The Baltimore Orioles are in last place in that division, but above 500. So every single team in the AL East has a winning record as I uh, am recording now Baltimore sitting there at 45 and 44 uh, Toronto and Boston both at 47 and 42 tied just above them and just uh, a game and a half in front of those guys the Tampa Bay Rays who of course have made themselves a fixture in that division for quite some time now at 48 and 40 but the class of that division and so far the class of Major League Baseball and by a pretty comfortable margin has been 
the New York Yankees. They've cooled off just a little bit as of late, but they got off to an absolutely absurd start and are now sitting on the year at 62-26. and 26. Right? There are two teams in baseball, the Astros and the Dodgers, who have 57 wins, but that still leaves them five wins behind the Yankees for the second most wins in baseball. So so they've been really just truly in a class of their own. You know, we've talked before a lot. I mean, it's baseball, so we talk about the advantages that that money brings you and it's one of the reasons why I always push back on people when they say, "Well, yeah, but look at the way Tampa or Oakland has managed to overcome that." And I always want to go, "Have they really have they <laughs> like they've managed to do some things to help it, but and I think I've made this analogy before, but I'm not sure I've done it in the past year or on this particular show, right? The marathon thing always people always talk about baseball being a marathon, but think about a literal marathon, right? A foot race that takes a very long time. Having an extraordinary amount of money like the Yankees and Dodgers do, and some other teams as well. Uh, the Cubs and Angels have money, and they aren't always competitive. We'll get to that, right? But that, that's the point of this analogy. It's basically the equivalent of having a huge head start in a marathon. Now, a marathon is long enough that even if you've got a huge and unfair head start, you know, somebody who runs the race really, really well, especially if you're being lazy, you know, we've got a tortoise in the hare situation. If you mismanage, as the Yankees have done at times over the years, and the Rays manage the hell out of it, as they've done over the times times over the years, that makes them even. It doesn't mean that the Rays win the race. In fact, more often than not, the Yankees still beat them in the end, <laughs> right? And the Rays have not won a World Series under this model. But the flip side is, when you have that head start and you don't mismanage, you're going to fly away from the pack. And they have that head start. And it's what we've seen the last several years from the Dodgers, who have not been mismanaging the remarkable head start that they have. And it's the same thing right now with the Yankees, who are not mismanaging this remarkable head start that they have. And it's an, it's an extremely talented team. It's the best team money can buy, right? And And there's not necessarily anything fundamentally wrong with it they're paying their players you know they're one of the few teams in the league you can at least say that about you know from a competitive standpoint it's one of the reasons why i think there needs to be some version of a salary cap and a salary floor and revenue sharing and and all of those types of things but there they are and and that's just damned impressive i i will say it is amazing that the Rays, Boston less so because they've got obviously a certain amount of built-in resources because of their long history. You know, they they made some big pickups, including former Colorado Rocky Trevor Story. You may have heard about that. He's been much better lately, but still has been an under-league average hitter. Like his OPS plus is under 100, uh, but he's been very good defensively. So I think he's still sitting at like two and a half wins for the team. Uh, Toronto is obviously the team out there I'd most like to see succeed because I feel like they are the team that doesn't do the extremes one way or the other, right? I was just talking about the Yankees have all the money. The Rays play all the games that I think can help you but are awfully cynical and end up making it very difficult for you to build a fan base, which is why they have none, you know, all of those kinds of things. Boston with their built-in advantages are, are difficult to sort of cheer for from just a, a – basic baseball fan perspective, right? And Baltimore, as much as it's fun to see a team that was supposed to be terrible and that wasn't even really trying to be good coming into the season suddenly be a game over 
and and be kind of in the thick of the conversation all of a sudden and with a bunch of dudes nobody's ever heard of. That's always fun. But I, I can't in good conscience really root for Baltimore either because, again, they've been bad on purpose for so long. And, you know, I just despise that business model so much. And, and it really hasn't reaped the benefits. You know, that what's happening now isn't that a bunch of star players who they've been building toward this entire time are showing up and, and leading to an, a window of contention that Baltimore has been building toward. It's just, it's just kind of a random, you know, winning streak in the middle of the season. And I, I think they'll go back down, but you never know. Again, as I mentioned, it's not like I'm watching a ton of Baltimore games. So to some extent, I'm talking out of my ass there, but I, I don't think that that's likely to be legitimate. Let's move over to the American League Central, which may be the worst division in baseball. So they've got uh, Minnesota with a, a solid 49 and 41 record, you know, eight games over. They're in first place. So nowhere close to, you know, they would be tied with Tampa Bay for second place in that other division um, and, and with Boston and Toronto right on their heels. But as it is, uh, they're there at 49 and 41, and they are the only team in that division with a winning record. So we've got kind of a flip side here, right? Now, Cleveland is close at the incredibly mediocre. Yes, that's right. I said incredibly mediocre. Uh, 43 and 44 record. Uh, that was an interesting one because Cleveland, you know, was a team that some people had as a dark horse. Uh, they made some interesting offseason acquisitions uh, not too long after blowing some things up there. So it's kind of difficult to tell, you know, or, or at the very least, you know, not bringing back Lindor and all of that. And so Cleveland is in kind of a weird no man's land, um, not too dissimilar, honestly, from where the Rockies are. But obviously they, they've got slightly better pitching, especially this year. They've had much better pitching. And so they're, they're going to be in the middle of things. Uh, basically tied with them are the Chicago White Sox who are building towards something, I think, maybe in the future, but are just a little bit early for that. Uh, and then two truly bad teams in Detroit and Kansas City who are at 37 and 52 and 35 and 53. So th those teams are comfortably, you know, worse than the Rockies have been this year. They'd be well below both the Rockies and the Diamondbacks if they were NL West teams. Uh, neither has been good. Kansas City just had like 12 people <laughs> disciplined and suspended for not getting vaccinated. And, and the, so they're just an absolute mess for them out there. Uh, I, I know a lot of people, well, I should say I know one person who thought Detroit was going to be good this year. So there you go. But uh, yeah, that, that division is the one where you know, if the Rockies played in the Central, not only would they have far fewer games against the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants, though um, the Padres obviously they handle a bit, um, they, they'd be playing Detroit, Kansas City, Chicago, and Cleveland a lot more, which are far more beatable teams for the Rockies. But even not considering that, if you just flopped their record over there, they'd be a couple of games behind Chicago and Cleveland for second place. Uh but obviously, that's not how it works, right? It's just that's a, that's a pretty weak division, and it has been for a while, the American League Central. The American League West is a, kind of a, a bit of haves and have-nots here. You've got Houston, as I mentioned earlier, with the 57-30 and 30 record in first place. Frustrating to see them continue to be good, uh, but it is just you know a fact that they've they built themselves a huge well of talent 
uh, during that time where they tanked for four or five years. They, I think they had three years in a row where they lost more than 100 games, uh, but they did actually manage to, they're, they're one of the few teams ever, and, and it's funny to me that people now use this as, as the model. What Chicago did was different. I do not accept that what the Cubs did was a, the full teardown rebuild thing because Chicago still went out and signed John Lester to this huge free agent contract. Like they still needed these big free agent, big market signings in order to make their World Series team come together. Houston, as much as I hate all the cheating stuff and, and I can't bring myself to in any way feel good things about that organization, they did amass a whole lot of talent and it continues to play out for them. And that's frustrating to see, but there they are. Uh, in first place in the AL West. Good news from uh, people who like good baseball everywhere and would like to see uh, this franchise finally pull themselves out of the cellar they've been in for so long. Seattle, they're in second place, but in postseason position with a 47-42 and 42 record. Uh, again, they're kind of, uh, that's exactly there in an exact tie with Boston and Toronto, right? So that's kind of the race there for the American League wild card spots. Uh, I would really like to see Seattle get into the postseason. I like their team. I like their uniforms. They haven't been there since 2001. And so it's been a very long postseason drought. And there's that part of me that, again, goes, well, a lot of that is on ownership and management and and mismanagement and having done several things. But the, the Mariners, a lot like the Rockies, have always been trying to be good, but have typically failed to do so and have made some poor investments and some bad decisions, but they at the very least, you know, have only a few bits of time where they were purposefully trying to be bad. And that was long enough ago that I can kind of forgive them for that. They've got a good, fun, young team with a lot of good, fun, young players that are easy to root for. And I'd love to see them go on a run. So Seattle and Toronto will continue to be my two teams in the American League that I'd kind of like to see get in and put a finger in the eyes of the, of the people that are either doing it with all the resources or the people who are doing it cynically, right? Then you've got Texas uh, at peak, to talk about a, a team that maybe got a little too much ink before anything had happened yet. This is another stark reminder that, you know, you, you've got to pitch and they're at 41 and 45 so frankly texas can still go on a run and maybe find themselves in postseason position but so far their season has played out roughly as i told you all in in the preseason predictions that i thought it would you know signing those big free agent middle infielders got a lot of people excited and they've been okay neither has played like superstars yet for them right simeon or or seager but you know, John Gray, who we all know and love, was their big offseason acquisition. And what's wild is, after a, a rough first month for him being injured and not being that great, he's been awesome. He's actually been fantastic for the last month or so, right? So, bad month, good month. We remember the John Gray experience. <laughs> we that That's what it goes. A little bit of hurt, a little bit of getting back out there, and then getting a bunch of strikeouts. I think just last night or the night before, he went seven innings, no runs, nine strikeouts. We've seen that before out of John Gray. We know he can do that. But we also know he is not, if, if he's the best pitcher, if he's your opening day guy, if he's the anchor of your rotation, then your starting rotation is, is limited in its capacity, right? Unless you've got five of him, but they don't. And so 
Texas did a little bit of uh, putting the cart before the horse here. And I'd I'd been saying that all along. Like I said, there's plenty of season left. And if a couple of guys click and maybe they've got some young pitchers they can bring up through their system that I'm less familiar with and they can can go on a run with that roster. Like there's a lot of good pieces there. But the way, again, this is another example of how we get caught up in off-season talk about all of the talent that's added to a team without saying, well, sure, but are they built in the right ways to succeed now that's got to be frustrating for texas and and rangers fans and all of that and you know they even after making the big acquisitions right and their guys have played it's not even like colorado where you know bryant hadn't been around for most of the year but who's the most frustrating team in baseball it's not your rockies and who's the worst ownership in baseball it's not your rockies sorry folks i i hate to i i think sometimes people when the team isn't good uh, it, it almost feels better as a fan to say, well, then they're the worst, right? You, you want your team almost to be number one in something, even if that means being number one in the worst ownership or the way. And, and I'm sorry, folks, but you don't have the worst ownership in Major League Baseball. The Los Angeles Angels do. And they have for quite some time. Artie Moreno has been bad on, on a number of levels, things he's done, some things he's said the way they've run their team. But you can really boil it down to, and obviously we know baseball is a lot more complicated than this. At the same time, the Angels have the two best players in baseball by a comfortable margin. Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. And in fact, Otani is on another level in terms of his value as a baseball player. Right? And I don't need to explain it to those of you that are listening, but the ability to hit and pitch at an elite level and play all the time. He's also a pretty good fielder and base runner, all that stuff. Right? He is comfortably the best player in baseball, and Mike Trout is comfortably the best position player in baseball and has been for a decade now. These guys are otherworldly talents, and they can't build a winner out there around them. 39 and 50 right now. They have a worse record than the Rockies with those two guys on their roster. And another guy in Jared Walsh, like they've got some nice pieces. They have the top end talent. You know, when we've talked about here, what's the big thing that the Rockies are missing and coming into the season, I said over and over again, outside of Chris Bryant, they're lacking that top end elite level talent. And the Angels have it. In spades almost. They've got several of these guys who can go and they can't build a winner around them. And they live in the Los Angeles media market where they've got access to way more fans, way more merchandising opportunities. And I understand they've got to compete with the Dodgers a little bit, but not really. There's enough people out there for that to go around. And there are enough people who would support the Angels if they were good that they would make that money. It's just damned incompetence and for all the people who went i can't believe dick monfort and and these guys couldn't build a winner around nolan arenado quite frankly now nolan arenado is should be a first ballot hall of famer he's probably the best third baseman who's ever lived and yet he's not as good as mike trout you won't find a baseball analyst you won't find a baseball metric you won't find too many people anywhere who are going to claim that Nolan Arenado is better than Mike Trout. And none of them are going to claim that Nolan Arenado, especially at this point of his career, is more valuable than Shohei Otani. 
he hasn't even been more valuable this year than Manny Machado, who rightfully is is the first place guy for the All Star game, right? So, and and by the way, that criticism of how do you not build a winner around Nolan Arenado, I think, is very legitimate. The thing is, they got close at least. They had a season where they won 87 games. They had a season where they won 91 games. They won that wild card game. I remember it was there. Milwaukee, you know, I was there. All of that did happen. And this Angels team, I just, I don't know how, I don't know how Angels fans do it, man. I'd want to watch every single game if I was an Angels fan because it, it it's a treat to get to watch players of this caliber, but you're, 11 games under 500 going into the all-star break without too many like serious injuries or just your your team just isn't good and hasn't been for a long time now. How many postseason games has Mike Trout played in? I'm going to move to the the Oakland A's and and start my rant on them in just a second. I'm going to bring up Mike Trout's postseason numbers really quick. So Oakland... It's frustrating for a completely different reason. Now, I could make the argument that they've got the worst ownership in baseball on a completely different metric, right? Because we know that sometimes they compete, not because of their ownership, because sometimes the GM does a lot of really smart things, the front office does some stuff, and they manage to weasel their way into a good team. But they won, what, 89 games last year? They should be able to continue to be successful. Why doesn't anybody go to A's games? Why not get invested after an 89-win season? Because of crap like this. Because they purposefully, willingly, and cynically just cut their budget, got rid of anybody who was making money, and now they are 30 games under 500 at 30 and 60 with half a season to go. That's embarrassing that's embarrassing at the absolute best by the way Mike Trout has played in a grand total of three postseason games it was the ALDS against Kansas City in 2014 Mike Trout has not played in the postseason since 2014 he has Precisely one postseason hit. It was a home run. (laughs) And then Oakland out here trying to lose and very much succeeding. Embarrassing for the game of baseball, for, for that city, for that franchise, for those fans, for everybody on that team. Embarrassing. Shouldn't be allowed. The exact reason we need a salary floor, just as much, if not more, than a salary cap. I've got far more respect for the Yankees buying their way into 67 or 62 wins. And they'll get 67 as well. (laughs) Far more respect for just buying up guys like Garrett Cole than I do for this. Let's go to the National League. Start out east, 
as they so often do. Uh, the New York Mets, as I, I talked about, I want so hard and so often to just be able to make fun of the Mets, but even coming into this year, I couldn't do it. There was no way for me to do it because I laid out exactly what I wanted the Rockies to do over the offseason, and the Mets did it. <laughs> the Mets did exactly what I wanted. They got Starling Marte, Mark Kana. Uh they, they made it a couple of other nice moves. Uh, now, they do still have their issues, uh, you know, and the Jacob deGrom getting hurt makes them very much a, a beatable team. And I'll even say this, that Atlanta at 53, 53 and uh, 37, just two and a half games behind them right now, I still think Atlanta's going to win that division because, you know, Mets. Like, weird stuff happens to that team. And as soon as it does, it gets amplified. The fans make it worse. Their GM and owner make it worse. I can't wait for the owner to start. You know, they go if they go on a five or six or seven game losing streak, it's going to get ugly for the Mets. And Atlanta has all the confidence in the world because they won the World Series last year. They've been very good for the last five, six years now. And, and they have no reason to panic. Even if they can't catch New York, they're probably a postseason team either way. So they don't need to worry too hard about that. Uh, one of a handful of teams out here with 50-plus wins. and But I think they're going to. Now, I like the Mets' roster, right? I actually think the Mets may even have the better roster. But they are the Mets. <laughs> Excuse me. And then you've got the rest of that division, uh, which is, uh, you know, Philadelphia and Miami. Philadelphia has been frustratingly mediocre for the last several seasons now. 46 and 43. They're going through a weird thing with JT Real Muto uh, refusing or uh, refusing to get vaccinated and so getting suspended. And uh, like I was talking about with the Kansas City people, some weird stuff going on out there with that. But they, again, just continue to be mired in mediocrity despite the fact that they get big points most off seasons and, and trade deadlines for doing a bunch of things. But it rarely turns out for them, at least lately, that those things actually turn into anything. So only three games over 500 for Philadelphia, who, again, for the last several years, have supposed to have been a contender out there in the East. It just keeps not happening. Miami is exactly what I think most people thought they would be. I know for some reason, I guess maybe a little bit of what happened in the pandemic year or I, I don't know why. I think some people just wanted to give them credit for selling Miami, you know, when they sold off like Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, like that year, where they, the, that period of time where they got rid of all their, remember those guys were on the same team. <laughs> Several of those players. Who, who's the other one? Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name right now. I ended up going to the Cardinals, the outfielder. You know what I'm talking about. Um, all those guys were on the same team and they got rid of them for hardly anything. And I think a lot of people want to be like, yeah, those young guys are coming up now, but they're not even highly touted prospects. Like the Miami Marlins at 42 and 45 are exactly what they should be and where they're stuck, quite frankly, because they didn't get those top end prospects. They sold which a lot of people said was a smart thing to do, but it hasn't manifested in anything other than them just having a bunch of quadruple-A guys on that team now. So they win some games, but they lose more of them. They've got a couple of nice pieces, but nowhere near uh, a team that's capable of actually competing uh, in for or in the postseason. And then you've got Washington, who, like Oakland, has just gone completely all in on the being bad on purpose thing. They're also 30 games under 500 at 30 and 60, and they are also an embarrassment. Uh, they can get away with it a little bit more because they won the World Series not that long ago, but 
Oy. And and it's also deeply frustrating because they have arguably the most exciting young talent in the game in Juan Soto to watch play. But ain't nobody want to watch this 30 games under 500. You think watching a team that's 10 games under 500 is frustrating. Give them another 20 games under. That, that's, that's ridiculous, right? All right. Out in the NL Central, Milwaukee, right about exactly where I thought they would be, 49 and 40, nine games over in the lead in that division. But with the Cardinals, again, right where I thought they would be as well, right on their heels, 48 and 43, two games back. I expect, I mean, in, just based on the number, that's going to be the race the entire time. Those are the two teams there. Uh, the Cardinals are always in the midst of it. Milwaukee has had this slightly above average team for four or five years now. And, you know, they, they've been able to make a couple of postseasons out of it. They've been, you know, fallen just short a couple of times as well. And I wouldn't be shocked if that happens again. If St. Louis goes on their little second half run like they did last year and Milwaukee ends up as one of those teams that's over 500 or maybe has an 84-85 win season and maybe with the expanded postseason they get in, but I, I think they'll probably fall just short. Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Cincinnati are all worse than your Colorado Rockies. Comfortably, comfortably bad. Pittsburgh, maybe not as bad as you thought they would have been. Pittsburgh, you would have thought maybe it was like Washington or Oakland, going to be one of those kinds of teams, but they're 38 and 51, so bad. Like I said, worse than your Rockies, but you know, <laughs> I guess not truly tragically terrible, uh, which has been kind of interesting to see them go on a couple of little runs. Chicago, I think worse than I thought they would be, though I expected them to be bad at 34 and 54. I don't know why coming into this season, uh, you know, the Rockies had a, a series with them early on. And I remember some people saying, man, these Cubs might be better than people think. And I was looking at the roster and I was going, which ones? Uh, they, they don't, again, they don't pitch. They do not pitch, and that makes it very difficult to win baseball games. And Cincinnati is another team that everyone should be very, very frustrated at. Cincinnati is another one of these teams that they had a winning record last year. They could have tried to build on that. They, they could have tried to you know, say we, we know our core isn't perfect, and we know we need to get better in order to compete against the true top dogs in but, but they don't even have that tough a division. Again, look, at they're not even chasing the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Astros. They're chasing the Milwaukee Brewers, who are nine games over 500. But Cincinnati sold off a bunch of pieces, went full in on a sell, and decided to try not to compete this year. And I do not get that. I That, to me, is so frustrating and cynical and so much worse than you know what the Rockies have done over the years, which is basically the opposite, which is tried to compete when maybe... Uh, you know, they weren't quite good enough, but at least they're trying to compete. Where these teams who maybe are quite good enough and go, ah, but we're not good enough, good enough. Let's sell everything off, you know, and not even try and give up on a far more winnable division. Where again, if the Rockies were in that division, they'd be in third place, <laughs> you know. Uh, but then, as you know, out West, the Dodgers are the class of that division. They have the best record in the National League at 57-30, and 30, as they almost always do and almost always will continue to. Very frustrating to be stuck in a division with those guys. San Diego Padres at 10 games over 500 at 50-40. and 40. The uh, Padres and Atlanta are the only two teams that are not leading their division but who have 50 wins or more. 
And as you know, this is the funny thing, and I tweeted it out today, that Rockies have actually handled the Padres very, very well. Uh, weird sort of quirk of, of the baseball seasons over the last couple of years, but uh, the Padres likely to, I think, finish right there and, and be a comfortably above 500 team. But if they end up slipping out, you're going to be able to look at their record against the Rockies and say, hey, once again, your team caused those guys to not get to the promised land. San Francisco's fallen off a little bit, but they're still over 500 at 45 and 42. So despite the fact that they're three games over 500, they are 12 games back of the Dodgers, who just have an absurd record, of course. And then you've got your Colorado Rockies at 40 and 49, just ahead of the Arizona Diamondbacks at 39 and 50. Lots of baseball to play, lots of shuffling to go on here. Uh, You know, I I think we're going to see even further separation from some of these bottom feeders, which is really sad because it's something that I think baseball was maybe trying to address, or they at the very least should be trying to address, but they haven't been doing a great job of you know, this exact problem where by the middle of July, you can look here and say Washington, Detroit, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Cincinnati, Oakland. That's seven teams definitely are out and should probably sell even more pieces according to certain logic, right? Trade off anyone they have a value and plan only for the future. You could maybe even throw Colorado and Arizona in there which gets you to nine teams and, you know, defend, depending on how you feel about Texas, they're under 500. If they go on a little bit of a losing streak before the trade deadline, that gives you 10 teams. Chicago White Sox are probably not going to make it this year. Does that mean 11? And, and is Baltimore in for a rude awakening? And would that give you 12? Miami comfortably under 500 makes it 13 teams you can make a reasonable argument for right now as we sit here today are out of it and according to a certain logic should no longer be trying to win baseball games. Those 13 teams should be in a race for the first overall draft pick and should be trading off anything that they have of value for prospects for the few anything they have on the major league roster of value that isn't signed long term right to try to compete next year 13 teams that's dangerously close to half the league and how many fans is that it's obviously 13 fan bases you know and then and multiply that by the number of people who are baseball fans who feel like you do right now which is, what am I watching my team for? And then if they do trade C.J. Crone and Daniel Bard, really, what am I watching my team for? And as we see with a lot of these teams who have rebuilt and used that process over the years, it doesn't always, you know, Seattle, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, they don't all end up like Houston. So that is the state of Major League Baseball as it is. I'd love to hear your predictions on what will happen moving forward. A lot of different pieces uh, to be exchanged, I would assume, at the trade deadline. So we'll obviously reevaluate where the league is after that. But as it stands going into, those are the, the winners and the losers thus far with your Rockies stuck right there in the frustrating middle. Uh, so let me know what you thought of all of that. 
Hit me up in the Discord or on Twitter, at Drew Creaseman. You can find all the written content over at milehighsports.com. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you both.